Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. And Bruce, we have on a great guest today to talk about basketball. And other stuff, though. And Not just other basketball. Stuff. It's basketball as it relates to our favorite sport, college football. So with that big lofty introduction, you threw out the word great. Uh, it is our buddy <laughs> Nicole Auerbach from the USA Today. And you still work in the Big Ten Network, correct? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> I like how you refer to it as the USA Today. Yes, that is technically incorrect, Bruce. It is? It's just USA Today. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I apologize. So listen, uh, the reason we wanted to have you on, Nicole, big news in college basketball last week. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with your work, you cover both football and basketball, uh, but you're much more plugged into basketball than we are. So the big news last week, Louisville gets its NCAA sanctions, Rick Pitino suspended for five ACC games for what was really a, a pretty unbelievable scandal. And considering it involved prostitutes and strippers and play and recruits, underage recruits, I think all three of us are a little baffled. Why wasn't this a bigger story? Well, I actually thought when this story broke, and it broke Right before the woman kind of at the center of the whole thing, the whistleblower, Katina Powell, wrote like an explosive tell all book, which I immediately, you know, downloaded on Kindle. And it was a very quick and disturbing read um, like that next weekend when the story broke. I thought it would be kind of the story that like sports talk shows and radio shows would be talking about all the time because it was very salacious and it involved a Hall of Fame coach. Um, but it, for some reason, it just never kind of picked up that traction. I think, you know, part of it stems from the fact that like, you know, Louisville did do a pretty good job getting ahead of it, you know, calling press conferences immediately, you know, having Patino's back and, and different things that if it were a different scandal, maybe there would have been different storylines um, right off the bat. But also, you know, I do think that and Stu, we have talked about this offline, you know, that that Rick Patino is well regarded by media people. Um, he's very accessible. He is obviously been very successful. And I think that people were very much willing to give him the benefit of the doubt in kind of 
you know, posit this as the way that Louisville was framing it as one rogue staffer. And instead of focusing kind of on the explosive allegations themselves, which were repeated and confirmed in a lot of cases in this NCAA report, which is really hard to do. I mean, obviously you can grant immunity or whatever, but you, you, it's, it's hard to get some of these details confirmed when you're the NCAA committee on infractions investigating this stuff. And you had stories about a, about the um, Andre McGee offering condoms to recruits who were minors and telling them to go upstairs and wait for a woman to arrive. And you had that on the record in this NCAA report. Um, So, you know, it was super salacious. It had a lot of details. But for whatever reasons, people really got hung up on what Rick Pitino knew, if he knew, when did he know, what happened, you know, it wasn't as much on the details and just this kind of idea that this was a type of scandal that we have never seen before, like this with documentation and kind of all the receipts for all this stuff um, in college sports. And that's kind of what the Committee on Infractions said in the report. They kept saying a few times, like, this is really unprecedented, by the way, like hookers and strippers um, and recruits and underage minors, like all this stuff, like this, this doesn't happen. Like we don't normally investigate this stuff. Can I have a couple of questions here? I want to get to uh, the first one. And by the way, the the strippers part, I remember when I worked on Meat Market, Ole Miss had yeah. gotten in trouble uh, maybe 10 years earlier. I think this is in the Billy Brewer days when some some uh, recruits ended up at a strip club. I don't think that was like that shocking that that happened. I'm not saying there weren't other issues that came to it. Uh, one of the things I, I think of, and this is a 50,000 foot kind of question, is when the Penn State Sandusky scandal happened, and we, Sue and I have talked about this a lot, it redefined how we in the media who cover college athletics use the term scandal. It yes. made you know, Reggie Bush stuff, it made Nevin Shapiro stuff seem really trivial. Uh, when it comes to the strippers and hookers and Rick Pitino's program, you know, we got the Baylor story that has kind of hung over college football, I don't know, for a year plus. You know, if you have a friend who gets caught with a prostitute, it's obviously not not a good day for him. But if you have somebody who is who is involved in some of the things that happened at Baylor, uh, those are people you'd never speak to again kind of thing. It's yeah. just, to me, it's such a different threshold. And I don't know if that was part of it because clearly you had this, you know, uh, one of the all-time, you know, big-name coaches, Rick Patino. he coached in the NBA, been in Final Fours for a long time. It's also, you know, you said about his reputation and he's largely well-liked in college basketball media circles. I mean, it's not like he didn't have anything salacious before. Right, right. You know, he, he, had, he had the the deal where he uh, got the abortion as part of an infidelity there. Um, what I wanted to ask you guys is his reputation seemed to be – much different than, say, John Calipari. If this happened to John Calipari's program, do you think it would have been portrayed differently and seen differently? I do. Um, And, you know, as much as we all like to be objective and, you know, we all have different relationships to different degrees with different coaches, um, I do think that a lot of the times there is more of a benefit of the doubt reaction to coaches that people have a good relationship with. And I think that, um, that there's a lot of countless examples of this, but I think that in this case, there are, um, some prominent media members who 
just like John Calipari, just like what he's doing to college basketball, he dislikes them. Um, I do think it would be a bigger deal um, if that's the case. But I do want to get back to your, your point about Baylor and Penn State kind of redefining what is bad. And I totally agree. I think had this scandal come about before either of those, yes, it's a huge deal. I mean, think about how much we all thought it was terrible, you know, tattoos in Columbus was, right? And that was like just an explosive scandal. Um, or, or you know, kind of it was hard to care about Johnny Manziel, you know, not getting paid for his autograph and his likeness and stuff after after real things happen that are criminal and, and affect people for lives for their whole lives and they're abusive and all these terrible things. Um, you know, I do think the fact that this was a systemic thing, this was over four years. Um, these, these prostitutes, um, were being arranged and strippers were being arranged on campus in dorm. That was a predominantly basketball dorm. Um, in a couple cases, the prostitutes were, um, brought in to spend some time with the handlers of the players who were being recruited. Um, there were a lot of details there, and, and, and certainly there was a legal activity. Um, but I agree that it, it sort of, um, you know, we're just kind of in this different realm of scandal when you're talking about, like, it's wide-ranging sexual assaults and cover-ups at Baylor, um, you know, pressurizing victims, all these different things or child abuse scandals. Like it's a totally different realm. Um, but it's been very interesting because another side effect of this kind of, I'm not sure if it was being diminished or just not being as explosive as I expected it, as maybe it would have been a different time period, um, with Baylor not hanging over it is that it immediately, I saw immediately as soon as the NCAA report comes out and you see what Rick Pitino himself got hit with. And the fact that Louisville's 2013 national championship was now at stake because of vacated games immediately. Everyone asked, what does this mean for North Carolina? What does this mean for Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss? And what's really interesting about this is in college basketball, you know, we have had Jim Beheim had his um, his he got his NCAA report and he missed nine games or I think it got taken down. I'm forgetting now. But um, eight, nine ACC games was his punishment and vacated games. And they sort of, you know, like, did they celebrate a thousandth win or not or whatever because of the vacated games that we all watched happen. But those two instances, Rick Pitino and Jim Beheim's um, punishments were under the old penalty structure, which is the one that isn't as harsh to head coaches and head coaching responsibilities. So I think it's been really interesting to watch people try to project this stuff onto Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss um, in particular, just because UNC is there's so much academic issues and there's different sports involved, but particularly Hugh Freeze, because it's my impression that, that he would be under the new penalty structure. Is that correct? Where the head coach is like assumed responsible with or without knowing directly what was happening. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so you would think that that would be a completely different system and a, and a, and a much harsher penalty. Um, and it's almost a little bit amazing that the NCAA held Rick Pitino as responsible as they did because, you know, I mean, it was a pleasant surprise from my end because I do think head coaches should be held responsible whether or not they directly knew. They're, they are responsible for the programs and they pretend and they project that they know every little thing. Um, they've got their you know, finger on the pulse of their entire program. Um but but that he was held somewhat personally responsible, not somewhat, he was held personally responsible for what 
someone underneath him was doing, and that wasn't even necessarily the harshest penalty he could have gotten. Why was Patino, because I thought that was really light, five ACC games, given what yeah. you said, that you are, head coach is responsible whether he knew, knew it or not. Why was his his suspension shorter? And you don't have to regurgitate these schools' cases, but why was his shorter than, because um, weren't Beheim and Calhoun both nine games and Bruce Pearl too? Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, Beheim for sure was, and I think he actually got it down on appeal. But, um, you know, we had the call and, um, you know, with the Committee on Infractions chair, and we didn't get an answer on that. Um, they, You know, they, the answer is always these are case by case, right? So, you know, they weren't able to establish a direct link that he directly knew. Um, they also said that that didn't matter because he should have known, um, which I agree with personally. Um, and, and so they come up with whatever numbers they come up with. Louisville is appealing. He is appealing this. Um, but I think that the stronger thing was because before, you know, when they just said there were going to be games vacated and that the school was going to have to go through, basically go through the box scores during those four years and tell them which players were involved um, in the games that were included. Here's my, here, here's yeah. my problem with that one, Nicole. When I heard that, it was like it's a piece of a puzzle, a season. You know, you may not get to the national title game if you don't, you know, it's like, right. you know, how, however those players contributed during the course of the season, you may not be in the same position. I get that a tournament is like a start of a new, but I don't see how you can, how you can make that distinction, how it didn't impact you. Cause maybe, you know, if you don't have a certain number of players, maybe you don't even make the tournament at that point. Right. Right. No. And I completely agree. And, and I think that, um, you know, there were, there was a, the numbers were higher, the numbers of current players, um, and total prospects that were involved in these parties, um, or attended them or were involved in some of the prostitution, um, acts as well. So I actually think that this might be, um, a little bit easier to determine than that kind of hazy area of seeing like, well, maybe if they played earlier in the year or whatever, if they weren't on the roster, but it became clear when when the, when Louisville held their held their own press conference that this was going to affect and vacate the 2013 national championship, and that to me. So before that, before knowing that detail, I agreed with Stu, and I thought that this was a light punishment. Um, and there were a lot of people. I, I was surprised at the reaction before knowing that that people thought this was like very heavy-handed on Patino, because again, I thought he should have known. But then when you see that, you know, I mean, again, we all watch these games who, you know, everyone has varying degrees about like what a vacation of games and championships and wins or whatever even means to people. But I actually think that that is a hefty penalty. So that's not just on him. That's on the school. Um, so I, so when I heard that that was the piece of it, that's why they're appealing because otherwise like the NCAA accepted a lot of their self-imposed things like their postseason ban, um, a couple of years ago and things like that. So otherwise it like seemed to go pretty well. Five games wasn't as bad as other coaches have gotten, but then when it comes down to vacating a national championship and being the first, um, college basketball program to have to do that, that's where they draw their line. But that I do think is a just punishment for a scandal that like, again, the Co committee on infractions said is unprecedented. And, you know, one of the unfortunate byproducts of what you said earlier, Nicole, that like, I don't know if it's the media members being so close with Patino or um, just this is a basketball, not football. You know, for him to stand up there and say this is over the top and he's lost faith in the NCAA. And really, Louisville has played the victim card yes. all throughout this. I mean, yes. tried to rationalize this away throughout, even in their, you know, how galling was it in that their official response, they tried to minimize this by saying, well, the monetary value of those uh, strippers and prostitutes wasn't that high. 
and, right. and the committee <laughs> shot I that mean, down pretty quick. Yeah, if that's one of your justifications of like, this wasn't that bad because like they weren't that expensive. Like, oh, my God. So because nobody's kind of, you know, putting them under this, the, this, the microscope for this, like they're getting away with kind of portraying this to their own fan base in the country is like they're being wronged in some way. And I don't know. I think the three of us feel like I mean, if, if this happened in an in isolated vacuum, maybe. But like this is the athletic department of, like Bruce said, Rick Pitino's previous issue. They hired Bobby Petrino after a huge ethical, moral issue, whatever you want to call it, at Arkansas. There was an audit last week that revealed that their um, – their organization that handles their endowment is basically like secretly funneling money to people like Tom Jurich, the AD, yep. uh, and the president. Like Louisville has become like quite frankly the the sleaziest school that plays major athletics in the country, and I feel like they're getting no backlash for it. So, so I would agree with you. Um, I think that there is certainly, and maybe it's you know kind of what we're seeing, right? Some of the things we're seeing written or said. Um, and certainly Louisville fans are very defensive and their, their defense in this situation is Rick Pitino didn't know it was a rogue actor. They're just, you know, taking exactly what their school is telling them. But I think if you take one step back and you're a fan of any other fan base, or you are just a college aware of college athletics, you see all of those things that you just mentioned. And you see, of course, that Tom Jurich, the guy who hired Bobby Petrino back and stood by Rick Pitino during his first sex scandal is going to, of course, on day one, say we are fully behind Rick Pitino. He had no idea. And he is the victim here. And, and, and so I don't think that that part is surprising at all. It's disappointing for sure. This is not what you want college athletics to look like and a college athletic department to look like. But I think that if you are not a Louisville fan, that should be your reaction to all of this. By the way, when all this stuff happened with the Wakey Leaks thing, remember the first part <laughs> yeah. of that where like Bobby oh, yeah. Petrino had no knowledge and Tom Jurich threw out that BS statement and, um, if it wasn't for Liberty, I mean, this would be probably the shadiest school right now in in college athletics, at least in Division One. It's been that way for a while. Tom George built up so much mileage there because they did like no other athletic department in the country has reinvented itself to the extent Louisville has over the last two decades. I mean, they were switched. They switched. To the, it got to the he ACC. got them in the ACC. Yeah. That is, yeah. Well, even going back before that, they were barely playing football at a competitive level. You know, before John L. Smith got there, now they're you know they've got the Heisman winner and they're shortlist. You know, they played in New Year's Six Bowls. Yeah, they did beat Alabama when Howard Schnellenberger was there. It wasn't like they haven't had you know. It wasn't like they just started football. But I think if you ask Louisville fans, and I heard some of this last week, Tom Jurich, Rick Pitino, and and Bobby Petrino could do anything just about, and and the Louisville fans would say, hey, they got us into the ACC. We're winning games. It's what they're kind of saying. They're they're kind of no one's saying like this wasn't worth it. They're saying that how are you know the the fan reaction that I've been getting is the is fans saying well how do you even know that these parties you know even even got recruit see we didn't even get all those recruits like th- how does this even help them win basketball games At blah 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 like there's just a complete disconnect um, when it is your fan base and you understand we all understand this we are around college football and college basketball fan bases all the time. Um, but yes, instead of like looking back and seeing a larger troubling trend, by the way, forgot to mention, Julie Herman was accused of ignoring abuse complaints also when she was at Louisville as like an associate AD. Like there was, there's been a lot of things 
in that athletic department. And to me, there, that becomes a cultural thing um, where, you know, something like this breaks and we are the victims and we, of course, are going to stand by our coach and AD and there's not even a question that they are going to retain their jobs. Where at any other school, Hall of Fame coach or not, I think that that job is definitely in jeopardy when a prostitution and stripper scandal breaks. Yeah, because a lot in most cases, just whether it got them recruits or not, whether the coach knew or not, it's just a huge, huge embarrassment yes. for the university. They don't want their name and their brand associated with this, and so they clean house. And uh, clearly that's not happening there. Now, in terms of football, Ole Miss is the case that's coming up. And I hate trying to compare NCAA infractions cases that have nothing to do with each other. I mean, the, the, the issues at hand at Ole Miss, are, they may have the same uh, NCA lingo, extra benefits, but obviously this is not the same thing. But everybody's looking to it because of what we talked about earlier. Here is an example of the, of the NCA holding Rick Pitino accountable, whether he knew or not. I think we've all been a little um, blown away by the extent to which Ole Miss is going to bat for Hugh Freeze in this NCA yeah. case. Like, they're willing to throw his assistants under the bus, but they will not accept any sort of NCA penalty or, or violate allegation that suggests that Hugh Freeze should be held responsible for all of the, any of this. I think that case at Louisville made pretty clear that he will be held responsible. Well, I also well, think that, and Stu, sorry, Bruce, um, I'll let you get to it in a second, but I, I think that the NCAA, the way that schools respond to the NCAA ends up mattering a lot in these cases. Like lying to the NCAA is bad. Um, being really like antagonistic, I think, is really bad. Um, like we've seen different reactions from like North Carolina at different stages, and you see different reactions from the NCAA in return. Um, and I think that being really defiant and putting all of your eggs in the head coach's basket in this climate, in a new penalty system where the head coach is responsible for their program, no matter what they knew, I think really is foolish. And I do think that the NCAA, you know, it, is going to it notices how the school is responding. I think, you know, when you look at these all and I agree with Stu, I don't think you can draw a ton from different cases, because I just think that they all look, get looked at in their own prism. The question is going to be, where is Ole Miss going to be? You know, are they going to be coming into a year where they're five and seven again, or are they going to be eight and four or closer to eight and four? Because I think that may shape how strongly they, they continue to back Hugh Freeze. And I think the question is ultimately going to be, do we believe that Hugh Freeze can be our head football coach in 2000 and 18 and 2019 um, beyond that. Because if you look at what, what Louisville got hit with, and I know there's a lot of layers to it, but ultimately the reason why some people thought, though they got hit hard was because they're taking a banner down. Losing us, the scholarship hit was pretty negligible from where I sit relative to, to that. Uh, so it comes back to is Old Miss going? Old Miss has already self-imposed one postseason ban. Are they going to go beyond that? Is the NCAA going to going to dictate that? Short of them hammering them with scholarships, I don't know. Do they take Hugh Freeze off the field, suspend him for for two or th for three games? If you do that, that's even more of a punishment than you had on Patino, because Patino got you know five games. That's basically a seventh of a season. So I think it's just hard for them. You're talking about different sports. You're talking about different levels of guilt here. You're also talking about something that was more wide ranging. Um, you know, the, as far as I know, the Louisville thing was all basketball, right? Yes. 
and you know, and the, and they were able to like what you were talking about. Can Ole Miss try to pin it on an underling? Like for as best as they could, Louisville did. They did pin it on an underling. Yeah, they got a ten year a ten year show cause now. After that assistant or you know moved on, the thing that was kind of a head scratcher there was there was some of this was still going on. Like where is like yeah, why he is he taking? <laughs> he yeah, why am I help. taking care of the school I have no affiliation for? I'm making sure everybody's getting hooked up now. Yeah, with yep. hookers. To me, that that seems rather dubious claim. Yeah, and then he didn't participate and 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 help the NCAA, which again is kind of just this a loyalty, you know, to to take the fall almost. But but what's interesting with Ole Miss is again, and I I just can't harp this enough, just because we don't know exactly what this looks like. But the new penalty structure is supposed to be way harsher on head coaches. I mean, you know, not just because they're being paid astronomical amounts now, but they are in charge of a lot. They're basically, we, you know, I've, we've talked about this, but they're like CEOs of their program, but they are responsible for everything that happens under them. And you have all these coaches in all these different sports and, you know, in football, obviously you're responsible for a whole lot more people, but all these guys try, you know, say that they're so plugged in and they know everything that's going on with their program. And then there's one ounce of impropriety and they say they don't, they have no idea. These people were acting on their own or, you know, they have no idea how this and this happened. This is a case with Ole Miss where things have been added on because more things have come out. Um, so it's gotten, the scope has gotten larger. And, and I just think it's going to be really fascinating to see how the NCAA looks at this with the defiance that the school is, is, is coming back at them with, but also in this new structure that is designed to hammer the head coach harder. And I don't know if it is taking him off the field. And, you know, obviously, like you said, it would be a larger percentage of a season. Um, you know, it would be cost more per game or whatever it is. Um, you know, that's the kind of messages they want to send. If they want head coaches to be responsible for bad things that are happening in their program. Okay. Let's give the listeners a little, little college football carrot here. I know you were telling me offline that your playoff picks are due soon. Oh, no. For the USA Today <laughs> preview. Yes. I will not reveal them, the teams you're thinking of, but you would ask me, like, who's somebody I can pick that would not be, like, one of the usual suspects, like Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, and so on, Florida State. Um, have you made any decisions on that? Yeah, so, well, actually, the big question, the two questions I came up with because I always like to be a little bit dark horse, a little bit out there. Um, and, you know, that has burned me in the past. Not picking Alabama, never doing that again. But um, I will say I was trying to figure out which conference is going to get left out this year. Um, it's very tempting always to pick the Big 12. But I feel like, you know, they're not going to be left out every single year. Um, and B, just how sure I was about, like, Florida State and Clemson. So the one teaser I will give is that I put Oklahoma State. And hopefully the mullet into the playoff. Wow. I could see that with the Cowboys. I mean, there's a lot to like about this team. Um, and really, frankly, with a quarterback like Mason Rudolph and a receiver like James Washington coming back, there's a lot of parallels to 2011 when they had Whedon and Blackman. And that team, if there had been a 14 playoff, they would have been in it. Well, and I think that, you know, the temptation would be Oklahoma. Um, and I love Lincoln Riley. I know he was on your podcast very recently. Um, and I know he's been groomed for this position. He's really, really sharp. First time I talked to him was when he was at East Carolina. But I still think, you know, a first-year head coach, the adjustments related to that, you know, I just – and again, also, like, 
Oklahoma's been in this picture before. I, I, I kind of wanted to go with someone different. I, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting how like a team like an Alabama and Ohio State, even Clemson, you know, if you make the playoff one year in a row, like pretty much sets you up pretty well to get back and you know what it takes to get back. So I wanted to go a little bit out of the usual suspects. All right, Nicole, thank you for squeezing us in to your busy schedule. I know you probably aren't there like basketball camps getting ready to start up. Yeah, summer recruiting is uh, getting close. But we've actually had some coaching changes in June, which is very rare for basketball. So I've been a little little busy with that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, right before Stoops retired, Thad Mata yep. quote-unquote retired. So it was, it's was it been an eventful summer. Um, thanks for coming on, everybody. You can follow Nicole's work, obviously, at USA Today and on Twitter at Nicole Auerbach spelled the same as Red Auerbach, who the, is both a legendary Celtics coach and a dog. Yes, very cute dog. Also, there are pictures of him sometimes on Twitter. I promise. All right, Nicole, thanks so much for coming on. All right, thanks for having me, guys. All right, Bruce, coming out of that conversation about a pretty serious topic, I want to go a little bit more lighthearted and, frankly, just kind of like a fun little thing having to do with the upcoming college football season. I feel like this guy's name comes up on our podcast a lot, and that is our friend Chris Vanini at CoachingSearch.com did an interesting article. It is the 10 most expensive college football games of 2017 right now. These are the 10 most expensive tickets based on what's the lowest available on StubHub for this game, okay? So before I start reading them, if you had to guess right now off the top of your head, what do you think, what game is right now the most expensive ticket? Uh, I would guess one of two things. I would either guess Alabama, Florida State, or Michigan, Ohio State. Okay, so Alabama, Florida State is number two. Uh, 422 bucks right now to get into that new stadium in Atlanta. And Ohio State, Michigan is on this list a little bit further down. The number one, one, the number one game... Is it a Notre Dame game? It is a Notre Dame game. And it is... It is Georgia at Notre Dame uh, in week two. That makes some sense. It does, right? Like at first you think, wait a minute, that's not one of the primo games of the season. And by the way, the get-in price is $499. But whenever one of these big-name programs with a huge fan base like Georgia gets to play in South Bend and hasn't done so uh, ever, I believe, um, man, their fans want to make that trip. Towards that end, how high is Oklahoma going to Columbus on this list? Ah, funny you should mention that. That is the number three most expensive ticket right now at $347. Wow. Out of curiosity, that is a great game. Out of curiosity, would you pay $347 to attend the Oklahoma-Ohio State game? Uh, No. I I, I mean, I'm not, you know, we're not, we're not ideal people to, to talk about this just because, you know, we cover some of this stuff. So... I think sometimes I, I wouldn't mind watching it on TV. Like, I guess what I'm saying is the experience, because we're not diehard fans of a given team to see them on one of these sites, you know, it just, it's a different level of emotion. I still get really charged up to be at a place, but I don't know. It's just not the same. Yeah, I think you're right because, um, you know, we are obviously very fortunate that we don't have to pay to go into these games. We are being paid to go to the games. And so it's hard to fathom me, frankly, Think three hundred forty-seven dollars, anything close to that, to go to the Oklahoma Ohio State game. I watch that on TV. But to your point, right when Northwestern made the NCAA tournament for the first time ever, that was a really big fan moment for me, and I went. How much did you spend? 
well, I got a credential for, for the, the game, but I bought. Oh no! <laughs> but I did buy a plane ticket. Um, that was not a work trip, and I will say that after the fact, I kind of wished I had bought a ticket because I wasn't there to cover it. Although you know, I got to see it from the front row, which is cool. But all my friends were up in the stands. I would have paid a couple hundred bucks for that. There's no question. I mean, I think there's like you should get dinged for journalism ethics for this. By the way, I was not wearing any school colors. I did not cheer. Some people did take advantage of that. The, you know, the Medill Mafia, as they're called. Okay, um, back to our list. I'll just read the rest off to you, and you can tell me if any of them surprise you. Number five is another game in Columbus, Penn State at Ohio State, two eighty-five. Yet another, wow, you know what? It would be very how, valuable. How many of these games are Ohio State, by the way? Well, I was just going to say, I'm realizing there is, uh, you man, if you had an Ohio State season ticket and you were willing to sell some of these tickets, make sure yourself some money because the four of the top six games involve Ohio State. One of them is at Michigan, but the other one is Oklahoma at Ohio State, Penn State at Ohio State. Number six is Michigan State at Ohio State. Wow. 237. Number seven is the Iron Bowl, 222. Number eight is Red River, 218. Number nine, LSU at Alabama, 210. And actually, that is tied with USC at Notre Dame, which is also 210 bucks. So almost every program involved here, God, I hope I don't piss people off by saying this, short of Michigan State at Ohio State, Michigan State's obviously you know had some great years. They're almost all these really of your, you know, version blue kings. blood programs. Yeah, they're yeah. the kings, and it makes sense, right? Because they, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. Like those programs that I that I said are the the royalty of the sport also have the biggest fan bases, with one exception, your alma mater. What surprised me a little bit: defending national champs nowhere in that list, and they have a big fan base. And they have a big game November 11th against Florida State, and Chris did include some of the. Other ones after the top 10? They play Auburn, which has a big fan base. That should be a very good game. That was not on it either. Well, they're both just outside the top 10. Auburn at Clemson is 200 bucks, and Florida State at Clemson is 171 Also, Clemson at South Carolina. So, is there a game that wasn't mentioned that you—well, we just won a couple of them, but another game that wasn't mentioned that you would be like, well, if I were a paying fan, I would. this is a one I would definitely want to be at. I'm going to throw out a wild card for you. Last year, Tulsa won 10 games. They opened the year on a Thursday night at Oklahoma State. As you said, Oklahoma State, one of the best offenses in the country, probably maybe the most explosive offense in the country. How much would you spend to come to Stillwater on that Thursday night? I think you're. Uh, I think it's unfair that you're throwing this one in there. Um, you're, say, you're saying that I'm, I'm – I mean, first of all, would I already be in Stillwater? Would I be buying a plane ticket to go to Stillwater? If I had some reason to be there already. That's a good game. If I had Tulsa at Oklahoma State, if I had a reason to be there already and like, for instance, let's say I was covering the game at Oklahoma two (laughs) two days later, but I was already in the state and they aren't letting me in the stadium for whatever. They won't give me a credential, the Oklahoma State game. I would pay uh, 50 bucks to go to that game. Okay. So if the Oklahoma State sports information staff had heard about your Northwestern basketball caper and they said we're banning him, yeah. they can pay. Yeah, exactly. Should I not have told that story in the podcast? No, it's okay. Uh, one notable one that's not on there, Florida, Michigan, and um, in Arlington that first weekend. I wonder if that's just because it's such an enormous stadium that it's not hard to get a ticket. 
Yeah. Um, you know, here's one that is kind of one might be interesting. I, again, Texas hasn't been that good, but Texas USC. A lot of expectations about USC early in the Tom Herman run. You have two, you know, you have history with the programs. They played the greatest game I've seen in the last, whatever, you know, 20 years. Yeah, you know what? You're right. That's not on here. And you would think that it's not even in the top 20. No, you would think a whole bunch of Texas fans would be making that trip now. But is it the more the U.S.? I mean, USC doesn't fill the Coliseum all that often anymore. Well, USC is doing some weird stuff with the Coliseum where some a lot of the boosters are going to get squeezed out because these boxes they're putting in. And so I don't know how that impacts them, you know. But like I said, the expectations are sky high for this team now. What about you mentioned Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma. What about Bedlam? Yeah, Bedlam's going to be in Stillwater this year. Hopefully it'll be better weather than it was last year. Okay, so I looked it up, by the way, Bruce, there in your backyard. Um, you can get into the Texas USC game for the mere price of $112. That's To me, that's mm. a uh, that's a bargain. It is a bargain. That, now, that is obviously for upper deck. Let's see, just out of curiosity, if I wanted to sit in the Jacob Ullman seats. Uh, the, whoa. Talking as you get to the lower section along the 50 901 dollars 624 dollars 431 dollars so it's just that you know people in la if they can't get good seats they don't care you know what also factors into this it's not a cheap place to visit so sometimes you go to now granted you go to a college town i remember the hotels get jacked up in places like state college as well as in south bend but it is not a cheap place to go in Southern California. I also think that it would be a different story if Texas was coming off a 10-2 and two season and not a 5-7 and seven season. Yeah, I think there's probably some truth to that. Yeah. Uh, this is definitely one of those weeks, so far at least, where it definitely feels like the dead of the offseason. Now that I've said that, I'm guaranteeing there will be some sort of controversial news for us to talk about later in the week. But also later in the week, we will be answering your emails. And i got to tell you, if ever you've wanted to send an email to the Audible, this is the week <laughs> to do it. So do that. The Why Audible is that, Stu? Why is that? Why is that? Because we're going to be devoting a big chunk of time to the mailbag. Also, I'm going on vacation to the East Coast soon. So um, so you're going to miss Stu is what you're saying. I'm saying if you want a mailbag question answered anytime soon, I would I would definitely send it this week. Because I'm going on vacation around the 4th of July weekend. You're going to a bachelor party. So get those questions in while you can at theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We would also urge you, urge you to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And tell all your friends to subscribe to The Audible. It helps get the word out. We'll see you next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.